and welcome to The Hedge Witches Almanac with me, Rachel. And me, Carly. We are really excited for today's episode. There's been a lot of hilarity before we've got on to recording today. <laughs> it's <laughs> today not going to stop. Be, <laughs> be professional, be professional. Today we're going to be talking about magic mushrooms, not the psychedelic ones per se, but mushrooms and their magical qualities. There's an awful lot, isn't there? Honestly, we've just been giggling like crazy, just even planning what we're going to talk about to an extent. Um, And I have begun with thinking from, um, as you identified, Carly, and I did not, it's a fairly shamanic perspective, I suppose. If you were to get yourself a power animal, you might want to think about the attributes that that power animal has um, and use those to view things from a different perspective. And I started thinking about the imagery of a mushroom and what attributes mushrooms have and how they can help us. So we're just going to start with a little bit about that. So the first thing that I thought about mushrooms is that they are soft. They're soft in texture. They're soft to touch. Um, And actually, that belies what can be found on the inside because so many varieties are actually toxic. Um, So you can have the softness that you can derive from eating, you know, the comfort of eating a mushroom dish. Because I do find, I don't know if you feel the same, Carly, they're quite a soothing food. Yeah, I love mushrooms. And I, I've i actually got a, you know, a little recipe for you later. But yes, absolutely. I find that they can be incredibly simple. But if you think even about some of the, you know, posh restaurants and so on, some amazing things and creations that people make with mushrooms. And when I was doing the recipe section, oh my goodness, I found some of the most bonkers recipes ever. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's such a comforting food. Mushrooms and a bit of cheese together is a wonderful combo. <laughs> oh my goodness. I mean, we could just go off and just talk about food, couldn't we? Mushroom soups or anything, <laughs> anyway. So yes, um, I think they're quite unexpected little things so if you're walking through the woods you may see them or you may not because they're actually like masters of camouflage at times aren't they but sometimes they are at this time of year in particular the only patch of bright color on the forest floor it's unexpected also because it finds its life from dead wood and decaying matter so it to me it's like it's life growing from death it's a bit of an object of polarities so it can bring our attention to um, both ends of the same spectrum and how they're both connected and also reliant on each other. I think there's loads of little things we can learn from mushrooms like that. There's also they're the shape of them. Integral... Oh, sorry, Rachel. No, no, go on. They're so understated. And again, I know you're going to kind of reference this, but if you do get into the scientific side of it, and we'll obviously touch on that today, but the support that they offer to nature I mean they are everything really and we underestimate what power and abilities and and how they keep everything going and that really blows my mind especially if you've watched a few documentaries on them and and and, you know um the spores and you know I'm not exactly going to be able to explain it very well (laughs) myself but it is pretty amazing how much of um of a power you know how much integral like hell I can't explain my words so but how integral they are to nature and 
I just find them amazing. So now I'm at this point of my life where I go out and I'm always looking for mushrooms, not to eat them. I'm not that brave. I'm not at that point. However, Rachel and I, we've talked about going on to like a proper foraging like course, haven't we? Because we're desperate to know which yeah. ones to eat and which ones you're not allowed to. <laughs> The, yeah, you're not the allowed to. there's not somebody who says you can't no. eat those ones you know <laughs> who not. wants to dice with death and play russian roulette with mushrooms <laughs> yeah not me not one bit um but no. yeah the only the only mushrooms i've ever eaten that i've found are the ones where they cannot possibly be confused with anything else because i don't have the knowledge so i would definitely like to do some kind of mushroom foraging course um but yeah so um the shape of a mushroom as well it's a it's a lot like an umbrella, which, or even a house. Like we had egg cups as, a, as children that were in the shape of a mushroom with little oh. doorway with a little mouse sat inside. And um, yeah, so I think they're quite a protective energy. And um, yeah, children's storybooks, they're all, all got that lo- lovely little homely and comforting quality about them. But as I said at the start, also with this, little threat that there could be sort of poison lurking inside so really interesting little things I think they can remind us of the unexpected brightness in our lives if you think about these little splashes of colour and just thinking about the protective magic and and life and death when you just said about um how um mushrooms are sort of central to everything I know you and I've both watched that documentary that's is it just called fantastic fungi or or something um and it talks about the massive massive networks of um oh god i can't think of my words today but the the connections and networks that's underneath the ground that exist that's so much bigger than the mushrooms themselves and i just think they're absolutely fascinating things and that's not new that's like not like me and you being like oh everyone have you heard of mushrooms you know they've been revered for a long time haven't they so We've both got little bits bits we found about um, history and folklore of mushrooms, which we found interesting at the very least. So we'll go into a little bit about that. So in terms of Irish history, um, like we try to focus a lot of our research, don't we, on the British Isles and things. Um, So magic mushrooms were used. And I don't know whether this is what we call magic mushrooms nowadays, I don't think it is actually. I think their mushroom of choice were fly agarics, which is your red toadstools with the white spots, literally your um, you know, children's storybook toadstool. They were used by the Druids in their religious ceremonies right up until the Christian church increased its influence and, and things like that just sort of died away, didn't they? Um, mm-hmm. yeah. The fly agarics, now, when I say they've used them, they are toxic, aren't they? They're not something that you would forage and eat. However, I think if there is a way of specially preparing them so that they're capable of being consumed, I think it's like quite a laborious process. I think it's drying and boiling and, you know, removing certain elements of it by those processes. But then they would be consumed and the Druids would sit inside um, swept houses. And that the purpose of this was to come into direct communication with the universe they have hallucinogenic properties. So they were said to increase knowledge and enlightenment, which if you put those two things together, I'm like, uh, you could 
go either way on that, couldn't you? It could be that they're in, increasing your knowledge and enlightenment, or you literally could just be hallucinating all the knowledge and enlightenment that comes to you. <laughs> Who knows? But yes, they believed that the ancient wisdom could be passed to humans through eating this um, this fruit, as they called it. And fly agarics themselves were known as the flesh of the gods. Mm, I love that title. Um, So they were considered to be a fruit, as I've just referred to above in um, Irish history, because they are an element of a much larger organism that exists beneath the ground. when we've just referred to that, I, I don't know whether you knew this. I certainly didn't. But they're literally thousands of years old, these networks that are under the ground. Mm. I mean, I don't know how anybody's dated them, but very, very old instead. Older than your granddad. <laughs> <laughs> um, so there's also, well, the fly agarics grow locally, don't they? They grow in Ireland. They grow in um, Britain. I've never come across one. I don't know whether you have. I think I have. It, have uh, I can't remember where. Yeah, I've got a feeling. Um, I've 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 seen many a mushroom. I've really got into a thing of it. I found some really bonkers ones as well. There was one actually growing out of. So I've just seen some really random ones, even recently. And this is just in a little village that I live in. And I live by the, you know, I'm not in the middle of nature. I'm by the sea. Well, I'm I'm in, you know, I'm in a form of nature, but I'm not in <laughs> not forestry cool. nature. Yeah, not foresty nature. And I'm always overwhelmed by how many there are where I am. And I think the best one I saw recently was a mushroom that looked like concrete. It was so bonkers. It was it was growing out of growing out of where a tree was growing up out of the pavement. And I really thought it was concrete, but it was this huge mushroom. And they just their the appearances they have are just so amazing like every, if you if you if you want to get on and look at some mushroom porn online some <laughs> just so different like you cannot they're so you know they, they just vary so much I find it fascinating I'm turning into a real mushroom geek and I'm okay with it do you find you have to snap photos all the time like I'm like oh my god look at this I have to I have to have a photo yeah. of that I don't know what I'm going to do with these mushroom photos, but I like have thousands of no them. No one but... I cares, Rachel. It's just you and me. <laughs> I just love them. They are incredible little things and big things sometimes. Um, so when um, talked about the fly agaric grown locally, and there's also one called the Liberty Cap. I have not looked up. I My instinct tells me that that's a toxic mushroom, but I don't know. Um, obviously, we're not suggesting you go out and eat any of these things anyway. Even if we do say that they're purportedly edible, when I've no idea how you go and identify these and distinguish them from other things. So don't go off and eat anything off the back of this. However, consuming some of these <clears throat> apparently can give visions of fairies and leprechauns and other creatures not from the mundane world. And in fact, in Irish culture, Mushrooms and fairies are both so sort of interlinked that apparently the Gaelic slang word for fairies and mushrooms is actually the same word, which is pookies, which I liked. Um, Yeah. And it's um, sort of assumed or thought that perhaps phrases like being away with the fairies or being off with the pixies comes from that connection that, um, you know, you consume the mushroom and then suddenly you can see all the, the fae or whoever it may be either real or imagined, I don't know. Um, There were psychic poets who talked about eating the red flesh of a pig, a dog or a cat. 
which apparently didn't actually refer to eating a pig, a dog or a cat, but rather, again, was referring to the flyer Garrick. There's so much about the flyer Garrick. This seems to be the mushroom that's for, you know, um, inspiring you through hallucinations or opening your mind or otherwise. Um, We obviously do have the magic mushrooms that you've referred to. um, And they're in season at um, Samhain when the veil is thin. So again, links between consuming mushrooms and having connections with otherworldly beings. I was just going to add as well, where you spoke about eating the red flesh of a pig, dog or cat, they were seen as a form of, they classed them in a way as a form of meat. Like they referred to them as a meat, which I found quite interesting. But they're not so surprising because if you think, I think there's a mushroom, a beefsteak mushroom, and they have got a kind of hearty texture. So I don't eat meat, but I often find a mushroom can be a great little you know, it's got quite a good texture to it. It can be a little bit meaty at times in regards to texture. That's that's my opinion anyway. It is a fleshy texture, isn't it? So the beefsteak yeah. mushroom is the only one that I've um, foraged and eaten a little bit of because it's so specific. There's nothing that's like it. And when you cut into it, it does look like it bleeds a little bit, like a little red mm-hmm. liquid comes out of it. So I was so sure that's what it was. I didn't cook it. I just ate a little tiny sliver. It was very bitter. It wasn't like maybe it's nicer cooked. But yeah, the beefsteak mm-hmm. mushroom is the one that I, I went for. Um, yeah, so the, I think we can go back really, really far into obviously if the mushrooms or mushroom structures underneath the ground are so, so old, then so will humans' relationship with them be. And apparently there is cave art that seems to suggest that ancient cultures knew about and used um, mushrooms and depicted patterns which implied that they understood that they had a psychedelic effect as well. So this is something that's gone back forever in our history as far as I'm concerned. In terms of... I found a lot of information on that as well, actually, like when I was looking at it, and I know we both look at different elements, you know, sides to the mushroom for this episode, but I found a lot in regards to that. And um, and I think a lot of the cave art linked to journeys, shamanic journeys, experiences that they had on the mushrooms as well. And it showed the fae in a lot of those cave pictures also. So yes, it's quite interesting yeah. little... Tan- yeah, side of it. Yeah, it, it's fascinating. Um, I didn't find a great deal in terms of shamanic folklore in relation to mushrooms, but I think if we consider that the druids probably were our native shamans anyway, I think it's all you know much of a muchness. But there was something about using a mead, which was used in ceremonies, had plants and herbs added to it, and. Um, psychoactives like mushrooms as well to work with when they actually engage in their shamanic work or um, or druid practices and another little bit of Irish folklore I'm really sorry my, I don't know if you can hear my cat trying to get in at the door <laughs> I've shut her out because there's a gerbil running around my feet and I can't possibly let her in but she won't give up she's going to persevere trying to get into this room <laughs> Um, yes, Irish folklore um, of metaphorical stories as well. So relating to mushrooms and plants that bestow knowledge or wisdom or um, or even pleasure when they were ingested. And the little example that I found was actually not a mushroom. It was about the hazelnuts of wisdom, which would then be eaten by the salmon, fished by the druid. And when it was eaten, the wisdom of the hazelnut is passed to the consumer. 
Um, but either way, loads of stories about consuming these magical um, plants and mushrooms that provide you with increased knowledge and awareness, which is all pretty amazing, in my opinion. Well, you don't really get that for a Big Mac, do you? So <laughs> there you go. <laughs> So I was really excited to get onto this topic because of witchy associations and mushrooms have been associated with witches throughout history. According to Christians in the 1500s, witches ate certain mushrooms to transform their bodies in shape-shifting type rituals, but most likely they were just likely tripping on some good shrooms. That's, you know, <laughs> that's, that's more likely the case. So <laughs> in Essex, there is a very old saying, when the moon is at the full, mushrooms you may freely pull, but when the moon is on the wane, wait till you think to pluck again. There was a lot of superstition in regards to times that you should pick mushrooms, and I'll go into some of that on today's episode. So you found so, that one speaking. Sorry, yeah. I'm But that's no, really interesting because I mushrooms just appear don't they like overnight and I've got mm. no concept of whether that's and you, you might be about to tell us I don't know but whether it's linked to the moon and things that's really interesting to know so um yeah I'm going to look into that if that's not something that you cover in detail I'm really interested absolutely and I'm going to go a little bit into some of the lore on that not I couldn't find a huge amount but yeah I'll give you what I've got so all over Western Europe, it was considered bad luck to interfere with a fairy ring, so a ring of mushrooms. And I love seeing these. Honestly, I get such a little thrill when I see a little fairy ring. There was one over the road. There's the grassy verge in between, with all trees on the road that I live on. And there was, like, fairy rings there, and, you know, I literally lost my shit. But <laughs> folklore tells us that... The I need to get out more. Folklore tells us that the consequences range from interfering with a fairy ring, from exhaustion, from being forced to dance with the fairies for days on end, to entrapment or an early death. Now, in France, they were known or they are known as Rons de Sorcière, so sorcerer's rings. And it was believed that enormous magical toads with bulging eyes would appear in the centre of the circle and curse anyone who entered. I love wow. the whole toad. Yeah, I love that whole toad imagery with like, you know, the fly garricks and it's so cottagecore and, and witchy. And with the toad in mind, so Puck, the mischievous king of the fairies, has been commonly identified with, I think it's pronounced Pog or P-O-G-G-E or Pogue the Toad, which was believed to sit upon one of the most unwholesome fungi, the champignon or paddock stool, and it was said to owe its growth to those wanton elves whose pastime is to make midnight mushrooms. So one of the toadstools, the Calaphorus cancellatus, is said to produce cancerous sores if handled too freely. It is said to have an abominable, an abominable, <laughs> disgusting odor, and is therefore named the lattice stinkhorn. And I just love the names of some of these. Oh my goodness! If you look at some of the cunning folk and how they referenced, you know, herbs and. And the mushrooms and so on, it is wonderful. They've got some great nicknames. So 
the toad was also popular popularly oh my goodness oh the toad was popularly popularly i can't remember today <laughs> impersonate the devil and the toadstool it's like some fey magic they don't want me to pronounce things and get this this information out and the toadstool pixie stool or stool was believed to spring from the devil's droppings always some reference to poo on this podcast <laughs> it wasn't me <laughs> fairy ring folklore can obviously be found throughout most parts of the world in europe there's a ton of um different references to like elements of metaphysical or magical undercurrents and i love this so the hexen christ in high german which um is references a witch's circle so the fairy circle again now they believed it was a portal to the spirit realm and was a sure sign of ritual use in many folklore tales and actually this stemmed from Ireland of course through to Germany like most of Europe there's references to these fairy circles or witches circles these rings were said to be in like German superstition and many other areas of Europe, to be fair, created by witches gatherings and dancing in the forest for pagan rituals. And their energy left behind would create a fungus and mushrooms would grow in their place. And many locals would see this as a warning sign and avoid these specific areas. You know, when, nah. when you hear something like this, and there's so many stories throughout, even if you just listen to fairy tales or anything, you've mentioned stuff before on your podcast about um, fairy rings. Like, do you mm. get the feeling like no smoke without fire sort of thing? Like, why would all these <laughs> cultures talk about what's gone on if, it, if there's no truth in it? I just I want to believe that that's why they pop up. I think as well, what it was linked to is because of the bacteria in the centre of these circles. There, I think one thing I saw was a common reference that a lot of, if any animals ate the ate from the centre of it, it was quite common that they would like there'd be deaths of animals and so on. That was one thing I saw, and I don't ah. know if that was just a superstition, but they did think it could be linked to the bacteria that had formed in the center of the circle which is why the mushrooms kind of grew around it but it was so it's hard because he's got a blend of all this folklore and superstition and then you know I'm not the most scientific person I'm not going to pretend that I am but um I, I did find this so fascinating so the actual uh fairy rings that they reference you know some of the folklore referenced is called Amanita and it's um it's a form that is, they would also associate with little gnomes like so that was another reference I saw on the German side nature spirits that sit on top of the caps or hide underneath them like you were saying like the little homes and you yeah. know the little of the, the shape of the mushroom so the genus Amanita or gen contains about 600 species of agaric so all of the toxic ones so well including some of the most toxic known mushrooms found worldwide, as well as some, there are some well-regarded edible species of the Amanita as well. And this genus is responsible for around 95% of the fatalities resulting from mushroom poisoning, with the, de the death cat mushroom accounting for about 50% on its own. <laughs> Wow, good grief. <laughs> the most potent toxin present in this form of mushroom is um, amanitin. So that is the actual, like the, the toxin in it that, that is the killer. 
And that genus does that. Uh, uh, did I even pronounce that correctly? It no, also I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I just you've had all again the pronunciation did on my bit. I've I know it's everything that looks a bit tricky. <laughs> it's it's the lesson that I need to learn to talk properly. Um, they also contain many edible mushrooms within the Amanita genus as well. But mycologists discourage mushroom hunters, other than experts, from selecting any of these for human consumption. So again, like with the there there are some, but it's you know this form but it's like uh, I just wouldn't uh, me personally I am I can't pronounce words let alone identify mushrooms so (laughs) it's a no from me (laughs) so in regards to the witch rings the witch's circle rather where it was said that whenever there is a hexenkreis in nature folklore in Germany tells us that there must have been a witch which was referenced as an old Hagazusa an old woman that would jump over the hedge with her broom and roam into the wilderness in order to practice her rituals and of course the hedge being more symbolic and the Hagazusa as well it is more or less a tale about the wilderness and the energies therein, I quite like that. Beautiful imagery. I love the yeah, name. Yeah, the Hagazusa, I like that, that I word as well. wonder if that's where well. Hag comes from. Mm, absolutely, yeah. Yeah, and there's also a, a word that I came across when I worked on some Norse witchcraft, and I think it's Hagris is another word as well. So it's kind uh, of yeah. a Saxon word, a Viking word. There's, there's a few words that have got Hag within it that we yeah. know that that's, come from that so it's quite a common theme and in English folklore so mushroom rings were also known as like fairy or pixie rings these are said to be caused by fairies or pixies dancing in a circle and as they wore down the grass with their dancing and and merriments they left a circular pattern of basidia a type of mushroom behind and then the toads would then sit on the mushrooms so as we sort of reference puck and poison them, creating a toadstool. So that's said how you get the toadstool because the toads would sit on and poison them. That was the, the folklore belief. So in the Scandinavian folklore, sorry, Lori, sorry, what was that? I'm just saying like the actual toadstool, I, you know, that's, I don't think I've ever like broken it down and been like, ah, oh, stool of a toad. That makes so much sense. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. They just sit on them, poison them, and then you're total. In Scandinavian folklore, these circles were created by elves. And like the English legends, they were created by elves dancing in circles, leaving their magical presence behind in the form of mushrooms. So common theme, you know, across many a country. And I love that. So Various folklore stories call these rings gateways or transporters. Some describe these as doorways into the fairy world. Others tell tales of these rings transporting people who mistakenly walk into their circle, taking them off to far off places or strange lands. And others tell of taking unwary people to the same place, but in a different time. That really freaks me out, that whole idea. (laughs) Um, so yeah, so in terms of, so I I really love all the old references to it and it's all very, you know, it's, it's all very samey across much of Europe. 
So I'm going to go a little bit into um, the Druid side of things. And I know that you went into this too, but I just thought I'd reference some of the uses of the mushroom and some of their rituals and so on. Just before you do, can I just go back briefly to, I I just, I may have spoken about this on the podcast before, but it's reminded me of the little um, fairy ring that I found in my garden that time when the other object that I found that I do remember so I went out, yeah. yeah, underneath the, um, we have a weeping silver birch in our garden, which is beautiful. There's many pictures of it on my Instagram. Um, but I saw a little fairy circle of the common puffball mushrooms and went, you know, Bob down to have a look at it like, oh, look at these amazing mushrooms and found a very small brown object, which I took a photo of. I'll have to find that. I think I have posted it before. To my mind, have, yeah. it cannot be anything other than a fairy shoe. It didn't, it looked, um, it didn't look like a dead leaf or anything. It looked like something that had been formed out of like natural matter. And I only took a picture of the top of it, not the bottom, but there was the proper like heel and toe shape to the bottom of it. It was incredible. So I have no problem whatsoever believing that there were pixies, fairies, whatever, dancing around, you know, creating all these fairy rings because I've seen their shoes. <laughs> Although it was only one. It was like a, a Cinderella pixie, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> it's yeah. too behind. <laughs> Sorry, Honestly, I'll let you get back on with your druids. <laughs> No, no, no. The shoe is like, I remember you sending it to me when you saw it and it just blew my mind. Like it's just so evidently a little shoe. It is. Yeah, absolutely. And if anybody, if I post it and anybody can say, no, that's absolutely whatever, then, you know, don't tell me because I don't want to (laughs) know. Yeah. Yeah. There's no point trying to get us to rationalize it. We are full (laughs) believers. Yeah. Don't, don't, don't bother. (laughs) So, Theories have gone on for long that the Druids of Ireland had been using um, had been using the magic mushrooms during their religious ceremonies. And Rachel's already gone into some of this, but I'm just going to add a little bit in regards to their ceremonies. And so these ceremonies, long before the influence of the church, the magic mushrooms were and still are a sacrament of the Celts, and of course by many of the European countries. So they were distinctly considered ancient Celtic magic using them within rituals so the sacrament use of magic mushrooms was a strong tradition as the Celt shamans had knowledge of which fungi or plants were poisonous medicinal and those used for ritual purposes and these psychedelic mushrooms were used to induce a state of consciousness or trance like Rachel was saying earlier to receive or have a connection with the universe, they would often use it to receive poetic messages and inspirations from the gods. And the ceremonies held by the Druids never started without the consumption of magic mushrooms to provide the best profound experience. And then they would, like Rachel said, they would consume the mushrooms, then sit in sweat houses. And in the sweat houses, the psychedelic experience was so profound enough to facilitate spirit extraction and soul retrieval the sweating made the psychedelic experiences more intense and new levels of consciousness that they could attain so when used in a safe environment under supervision of trained shamans that help ensure the right and proper preparation consumption treatment and integration so many people have claimed to have a life-changing and 
profound spiritual and mystical experience that has helped with healing of you know rheumatoid arthritis addiction anxiety ocd ptsd depression and various other mental health issues so you can actually have a legal spiritual experience with magic mushrooms there is in ireland the psychedelic society of ireland which offers i what it says so I looked into this, so it offers people legal mushroom experiences and their psychedelic trips are also like strictly supervised by trained professionals to avoid any unpleasantness. So, you know, you can look into places like this that offer this experience. And I have heard accounts and they're said to be life changing. So if it's something that you're interested in and you might want to replicate, you know, something that the Celts in some sense did, you might want to have a look into it. There's a documentary so, on this there's something about somebody that was doing research into the impact of um is it psilocybin is that how you say the active ingredient yeah. on it um yeah. on really severe depression people that couldn't achieve anything through antidepressants through talking therapies there's a fascinating documentary about that so yeah there's, there's definitely a growing body i think of interest in using mushrooms medicinally Oh, absolutely. And on that fantastic fungi show, program, documentary show, um, they went into that as well. And it's yeah. so interesting because in the 70s, they were really hammering some of the research because they, they knew the effects and they were trying to look at it on a bigger scale. It kind of started off with a lot of the hippies, the pagans that just knew there was more to it. And the government shut it down because of the fact that they were like, actually, they're onto something here. Like, and it's only recently, and they talk about this on the Fantastic Fungi documentary. I'm not releasing some kind of top high level FBI information <laughs> or anything. It is on the documentary. And then now they're looking at it more with microdosing and things like that. But it was so, they were so aware of how successful the, the, mm -hmm. the research was going. They got really nervous and sort of shut it down at that time so there's a lot of um you know there's there's a lot of uh ugh, opposition to it in some respects um and again you know for those who have never consumed the entheogenic fungi they believe that the visions and insights experienced by users are like mere hallucinations but for the user it's said to be quite the opposite the experiences had on higher doses of psilocybin of psilocybin are often found to be of such profundity that they are frequently described as something that cannot be described so you know people that they had they they talked about this in fantastic fungi as well people didn't have the ability to explain how amazing it was and the the site you know how they felt that it helped them so psilocybin oh sorry Rachel I was just going to say there's an example of that that because like that's quite a hard concept to understand isn't it how you couldn't possibly yeah. have the words for it although that must have happened throughout human history you know words follow experience don't they but somebody yeah. that I know who has taken hallucinogenic mushrooms says that she saw different colours like that don't exist in the ordinary reality and like if, there, if there's a color that you don't have a name for that's exactly the sort of experience isn't it like I'm seeing something there is no word for it it's that kind of level of newness yeah. and like profound experience like you say absolutely a complete connection to the you I genuinely feel that you know you can see why you can 
view it as a connection to the universe because you see things that are just you've never experienced and honestly I find it fascinating and psilocybin or psilocybin is a boundary dissolving compound that reduces and gets rid of the ego and sense of individuality of the user so the moment the ego and contrived perceptions of one's place and purpose is set aside the user soon comes to realize and is said to sense a deep interconnectedness with the world and the universe so that, under, that makes sense. Like this process is often described in terms as similar to a mystical or deeply spiritual experience. And again, you know, for the user, this experience is far from a hallucination and the insights and sensations imparted can often be seen as a turning point in one's life. I find this all fascinating. And actually, <laughs> there's one thing i got to say. When it comes to mushrooms, our ancestors trying mushrooms like for the first time can you imagine it is literally this one could either kill me give me an amazing trip or just be a trait like a tasty snack but hey like yola (laughs) (laughs) well it has like everything that's like discovered to be poisonous someone's got some poor soul has you know, had to understand that for us so that we avoid it. Oh, Thank don't eat that one, Jeff, because Mike <laughs> ate that one last week and he's dead now. Yeah. I do Basically. think that's what the original humans were called as well. Yeah. <laughs> well, I because we found so much about um, the fly agaric, I've got even more about that if anybody's interested. If not, just fast forward. Um, <laughs> but um, one theory about where it got its name is that there was a practice in Europe of putting pieces of fly agaric in milk or sugared water or sprinkling sugar on the cap of a fly agaric, which you would then put on a windowsill so that flies could consume the milk, the water or the sugar and become incapacitated. So you could then dispose of them and keep them off your primrose burger or whatever you're eating. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, I have put, I'm just confirming because you can hear a cat now that I have put the gerbil back in its cage and I now have the noisy cat. Um, All animals are safe. No animals were hurt in the making of this podcast. Um, Vikings are also supposed to have used it. And the word berserk um, apparently has Viking origins and they used it to go berserk after its use. So they would use it, I believe, before going into battle because... It's supposed to inhibit um, fear and also the startle reflex. So in terms of how we picture Vikings going into battle, absolutely fearless and just, you know, in, in for the kill, that makes sense. But they wore apparently bearskin shirts, the warriors. So yeah, that bearskin and berserk, somehow there's a link there that created that word. So yeah, again, like a... Um, an insanity induced from eating um, the fire garricks. So there are yeah, also like on. a trance-like fury. I find the berserkers like I'm obviously into loads of Norse stuff. Like I love yeah. Norse witchcraft and all the different Viking stories and so on. But yeah, they had the um, they would have a form of mushroom and it and yeah, it like had this psychoactive effect and they would just like 
absolutely bonkers. They would go into battle without armor. Well, some say that they did. Others said it was, you know, but yeah, they, they just like were in this trance like fury and just so aggressive and, and out of control where they were said to be. Yeah, and let that be a warning too, you know. Yeah. <laughs> don't go out clubbing with no shirt because you've eaten a bit of fly, Garrett. Don't do it. <laughs> There's also some, some suggested satanic connotations. Um, obviously, the fly agaric having the word fly in it. Apparently, Beelzebub comes from a Hebrew word, which I'm not going to try. Oh, I'm going to try and pronounce it. Baalzebub, which means Lord of wow, the Flies. good. It, well, it was something. I don't know. You'll have somebody who actually <laughs> speaks Hebrew coming on. and mm. um, But yes, Lord of the Flies, obviously, potentially some reference to uh, the fly agaric. Mm. So one characteristic that I find really interesting um, of consuming the fly agaric is distortion of size. So this is something that I'd like to explore beyond the folklore and look at it, um, like how we may use it, use it. So not in terms of ingesting fly agaric and seeing what happens, um, but rather looking at the physiological changes that are reported. If, if, Fly agarics distort size. Can you use that in your life? Can you harness that um, ability? So is there like a problem that seems too big for you to even begin to deal with or face? Could you visualise the impact of the fly agaric on the problem and shrink it so it's no longer insurmountable? Or would the opposite help that. you? Yeah. Do you have like a big or complex issue that you need to deal with? So could you visualise the fly agaric having an impact on it to enlarge it to way beyond its normal size so you can easily see the composite parts and it might just lead you down a path of knowing where to begin the order that you need to do things in order to resolve each part of the problem and you can think really widely and creatively about how you can use the power of this particular mushroom and if you're struggling to get into this headspace just read Alice in Wonderland we've been listening to um <laughs> what's it called Jefferson Airplane isn't it with um I forgot what the song's called, but it talks about one pill makes you bigger, one pill makes you small, all that business. It's all so much in popular culture, in um, historical culture and folklore. It, it's fascinating. So another, there is a, a little bit more about um, a shamanistic group of people that were particularly connected with the fly agaric. They were based in northeast Siberia. Again, another great um, word to pronounce. They were the Koryaks, perhaps. Mm -hmm. And they used consuming fly agarics to direct their spirit. So there's an obvious connection here with it producing an altered state in which you could journey. And the effects of consuming it were reported to be quite varied, um, as there are with many drugs, like from alcohol and beyond. So you could consume it and end up singing and dancing or you could be crying out in agony and I think we were talking about this before the podcast weren't we about the mental state that you're in before you consume something which has mind altering characteristics it absolutely brings out wherever you are or wherever perhaps wherever you need to be I don't know all those emotions so it can just have the most phenomenal impact on you to be fair, that also sounds like a Saturday night at Weatherspoons. Not that I go to Weatherspoons <laughs> on Saturday night, but it does sound like an equal measure. It could be just not much dissimilarity. <laughs> exactly. So humans have always done this, haven't they? We've always done things that sort of change our perspective and uh, enhance our emotions. Um, 
It's yeah, not so it, much it's a spiritual experience at Weatherspoon's though. <laughs> <laughs> no, fair enough. I'm talking more about the flyer galleries. <laughs> the sophisticated folk in North Northeast Liberia, not the sophisticated folk that uh, frequent Weatherspoon's. Frequent Weatherspoon's, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it's a useful thing to consider because it just reminds us of that thing that we should always bear in mind about the importance of setting intention and preparation of our own mental state before we do embark on any journey, whether we're assisted by our plant allies or not. Now, I know I said earlier that it was you that referenced the bodily function, but I've got another one. <laughs> so the, the Koryaks, these Northeast Siberian folk, who were so, said to have traded in the dried version of the fly agarics. So the value of it was so great that... A fly agaric could fetch three reindeer in return if that was your wow. currency. Mm, massive, really, that isn't it? If you think about all the meat that could come from that or use or whatever. So it would be rich consumers who would purchase the dried fungus. And the potency of the active ingredients, which were the ibotenic acid and mus muscamol, I've no idea. They were the psychoactive ingredients. It was so strong that once these rich folk had consumed it, they would wee it out. And it was still active enough within the wee that apparently poor people who didn't have three spare reindeer to go and buy a dried fly agaric would wait outside the houses of these rich people with a bowl to collect the wee and consume it themselves. <laughs> That's like some desperation to get a little bit of a high or some uh, wider understanding of the universe. But there, there we go. That's where I'm going to leave that. it with you. <laughs> How we descend into giggles over toilet talk, even at our grand old ages. I love it. <laughs> I've got some witchy ways that you might wish to work with mushrooms in your craft. And Rachel touched on this earlier, but when it comes to anything mushroom related and spell work and so on, much of what I saw is in relation to protection. So that seems to be the common correspondence or sort of property for them. One thing you might want to have a go at doing, this is very cottage core. You might want to dry mushrooms in the oven and you could string them on a little garland, perhaps with like crystals or some little twigs, some herbs. If you maybe found some bones and you like the sort of bone magic element, whatever you see fit. That's, again, quite a nice little idea. You can you might want to have a go at growing mushrooms and if you decide to grow them same as you might plants and seeds and so on you could perhaps leave them out in the moonlight or place crystals in their little pots and you can focus certain intentions like certain intentions through the water you supply them with so you might want to use some rose or lavender water or moon water be creative mushrooms love a little bit of fun this is quite good if you are a lover of like fairy witchcraft if that's or if you work with any deities that are very linked to the fae so mushrooms in a very general sense are associated with psychic awareness astral travel so you could use any mushroom as a filler in your magic for those again perhaps like as an authoring addition to any spell you know if you're sort of using any candle magic you might want to maybe ground down some mushrooms and add them onto you know roll your candle in it with some anointed oil anything that you feel might you know help to take you on your journey symbolically 
Mushroom tea is definitely a fun thing to try, but not for everyone. I haven't tried this myself. I'm going to look into it. But if you decide to give it a shot, please do your proper research beforehand. It needs to be brewed in a specific way. It isn't exactly like herbal or floral tea. I spoke to you about this, didn't I? When I met, I cooked dinner for some friends recently and used, um, oh, I forgot what they're called, the Italian puccini mushrooms, which come dried, don't they? And when you prepare yes. those by pouring boiling water on them, it's not something, it's not an ingredient I often use in cookery, but there was some real deep, um, like memory or recollection of having done that, you know, like it felt like some past life of making mushroom tea or whatever it may be. I think if, um, if you know what you're doing, that's a really lovely thing to do. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think, um, yeah, and I think they are just, they're so great to work with symbolically, I think as well. I mean, especially if you are a lover of fairy witchcraft, you can make offerings out of them to give to the good folk. You might want to leave them on your kitchen altar. You know, if you are a kitchen witch, um, you can leave them by the back door as a little offering. You can grow mushrooms pretty much anywhere, as we know. (laughs) Um, You might even opt to grow them in pots and have them throughout your house as little wards due to their association with protection. You can perhaps also use them, again, like I was saying, if you work with any deities, I had some interesting information in regards to a few mushrooms that I'll go through with you now. And these are links with Norse witchcraft. So some of the like Norse deities, I do have some Norse ancestry. I'm quite, well, no, sorry. I have got some like Norse ancestry. So I kind of like to look at some of these elements and see if I can integrate anything into more of my Celtic type witchcraft. So I thought I'd share these and see what you think. So the first mushroom, True Morels, that's uh, M-O-R-E-L-S. So the stories around this mushroom say fey and the spirits make homes in the little holes of the true morale mushroom. So it can be used in fey work, spirit work. It was said to be used in necromancy, also breaking curses and protection. And I had them pop is... up in my garden once, sorry. <laughs> Just like... Oh, yeah. in, in our old house, we had wood chip in the, in the back garden. It was very, very small. And one morning just got up and I was like, what's out in the garden? Like suddenly there's all these things. And it was like a little forest of morels because I was pregnant at the time. My husband was like, no, you must not eat those. You don't know. And I went around everywhere trying to ask people to confirm that these were morels. I know that they were. I would have been fine. Um, but um, no, I didn't consume them and I've never seen them again in, in, like growing since. So I'm a little bit gutted because I think if you went to a restaurant, they're quite pricey little fungus, aren't yeah. they? I think so. Yeah, I've not. I need to get a bit more. I need to try some other forms of mushroom, to be fair. I'm not that exciting on that front. So I haven't seen these like wildly grown either. So I can't say that I've seen these. These are said to be linked to the goddess Hell. So, of course, the magic mushroom, we had to discuss this. So my experience experience of uh, (laughs) Magic mushrooms is uh, not not the best. Uh, so don't do what I did, like take an easy jet flight to Amsterdam, visit the Magic Mushroom Museum and end up staying holed up in a cheap hotel room, staring at the Artex on the ceiling <laughs> for like three days. I've literally no knowledge of Amsterdam. I spent the entire time high on magic mushrooms and 
didn't even know, don't can tell you what the red light district looked like, could not tell you anything other than Amsterdam is very flat and I stared at an Artex ceiling for about three <laughs> days. Could not do a TripAdvisor review. I saw nothing except the inner workings of my mind. Um, yeah. <laughs> People would want to know that, that that can happen in in Amsterdam. I'm, I think that is a worthy TripAdvisor review, personally. Yeah. Oh, yeah, the hotel had really great Artex. That plasterer <laughs> deserves good props. Honestly, I'm so traumatised. I can never go back to Amsterdam ever now. You may want to use, if I did, I, I nothing, couldn't touch anything like that. You may want to use them in your craft as an energy filler. And we've touched on that already, you know, the symbolism of them and, and looking at, you know, kind of, yeah, like the, the, the smallness of life and the bigness of life. Um, so it can be a magical amplifier. They're great for creativity. They have, um, with the magic mushroom, it's also been metaphorical to represent the night and the stars. They have association with Loki, which would make a lot of sense due to his kind of trickster nature. He's a bit off key. If you work with him, you know, he's. you can see where, we go, where they're going with, with that. Um, I know here where I live, actually, that magic mushrooms grow freely, but you will never catch me off my face up that hill eating them. Never again. Um, not that I've been up that hill and eaten them, but, yeah, I will not be ever doing magic mushrooms again, I, I don't think. Do you know um, what, though, just to make sure I've avoided picking them, because it's actually, I think it's illegal to even hold them, like possess them. Yeah. I think they're properly like, um, yeah, you must not do this. I don't know mm. what they look like enough as compared to other mushrooms that might be the state. There's no way I'd be going and picking them because I think oh. they're one of those that there's so many other things that look really similar. So, yeah, not for me either. Not for me, not for me. No, no, I value my life too much. Um, saffron milk cap. So this can be used for change, growth, healing, cleansing, prosperity, honesty, justice and strength. It has association with the Norse gods Thor and Tyr. Uh, shiitake, this is one of few mushrooms some cultures consider medicinal. So again, it can be used in spell work related to healing, good health, strength, earth grounding fertility and youth this is linked to the gods and goddesses so four air frig freya and also the death cap mushrooms so some superstitions state that a death cap picked under the new moon is a death cap with roots in the underworld hell whatever you call it and they can be used in curses hexing binding prophecy and revenge and they are linked to hell and the norns um and the common mushrooms that can be used for long life purification peace prosperity abundance and joy and that has links to like air freya four and fuller and just briefly i mean i didn't want to you know we all know it's obvious mushrooms are wonderful for kitchen magic i have a very old mushroom recipe for you not necessarily seeing the shops today so mushroom ketchup which is an old english favorite though not often seen you know it's not something i've come across i'll be honest with you but i do like the sound of it and this is an original recipe from 1728 so this recipe was take a stew pan of the large flat mushrooms set it on a slow fire with a handful of salt 
They will make a great deal of liquor, which you must strain and put it into a quarter of a pound of shallots, two cloves of garlic, some pepper, ginger, mace and a bay leaf. Boil and scum it very well. When it is quite cold, bottle and stop it very close. So my explanation for this would be make sure the bottle's sterilized, either by heating in a low oven or using a sterilizing solution. And the mushrooms that the author Kettle B would have used in the 18th century would have been horse mushrooms, which is Agaricus arvensis, as this recipe dates from before the days of cultivated mushrooms. But you could use field mushrooms, which is Agaricus, Agaricus campestris, or simply portobello mushrooms. And it's said to be great on your full English or add it to stews or casseroles. And that recipe came from a page called Forest Foragers. That's got to be worth a go, definitely. Mm, I'll put it in the show notes, but I quite like the sound of that. I don't know what mace is. What's mace? Um, pepper spray. No, I don't know. <laughs> don't be protective. <laughs> <laughs> I will um reference the that's all they gave me on the recipe but what I will do is I will put the details in the show notes and I'll give some clarification around that definitely but I think even if you just use the other um you know the other herbs and so on that he referenced it's still going to taste good he doesn't say in the outline this is actually I gave his breakdown of the recipe on this too but I think even if you've just got some shallots some garlic some pepper ginger bay leaf it will come out great but I'm gonna have a go at this I think it's really good I definitely I love mushrooms really really love mushrooms um and I'd just like to say before we say goodbye or anything well done and all your pronunciation oh you had a lot in that I just skipped over anything where I'd written a word that I didn't know I was like oh and yes someone said or (laughs) it's something like this well done thank you Oh, we've also had some more really lovely reviews, haven't we? And honestly, it makes my day. It's so nice. You know, we know that there's going to be plenty of people for whom this is not the right podcast. But for our audience, when when we're pleasing you, that's really, really nice. And we love it. Absolutely. And we love hearing from you when you have a go at making anything on the podcast. We do try to... When it comes to the the Sabbath, we try to make it a little bit different, a little bit off the beaten track, because we as witches feel that sometimes we kind of come across the same information over and over again when it comes to different Sabbaths and different you know forms of the craft. So we do try to look at it from a different angle, and that's that's our intent anyway. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, we we didn't even say this is a little in between episode again, is it? Because it was nothing going on in February that we needed to um, be talking about in terms of Sabbath so yeah we will be back for our star but right now it was just what should we do let's get crazy about mushrooms are we allowed to say a little bit about a little bit of a project we're working on just I think, to I think we should yeah yeah <laughs> So when Rachel said about Ostara, I'm already so far ahead in the year because we are actually producing little booklets in relation to the Sabbaths. 
And we will be releasing some more information on this, but we are really excited. It's definitely a passion project. So we will be putting out some more information in the course of the next episodes on where you might like to buy one, if you know what you can expect from the books. But it will very much be a very old, old ways hedge witch look at different Sabbaths. There'll be different kitchen witchery in there. There'll be spells. What else can they expect, Rachel? It's the same sort of things from the podcast, isn't it? But but more expanded on really more ideas about the Sabbaths themselves and um, yeah, just different things connected with them. But obviously we can go into a bit more detail because we're not limited to a sensible podcast episode length. Absolutely. And there'll be none of the giggling and toilet talk in the book, but it was still promise, promise, no poo. (laughs) (laughs) Wonderful. Well, I guess we will speak to you or see you speak to you all for our Stara episode. Thank you as ever for all your support. So grateful. You are a wonderful, wonderful bunch of wonderful witches. Um, Thank you. Thank you and keep on keeping in touch. <laughs>